0: My name is Jason Fleming.
1: And my name is Julie Muir.
0: And this is the More Than My Past podcast
1: from from The Forward Forward Trust. Trust.
0: The theme of this episode of the More Than My Past podcast is housing.
1: It won't come as a surprise that safe accommodation is a massive factor for those seeking to move on from addiction or time in prison. Without it, cycles of addiction and offending are all too easy to fall back into.
0: In this episode, our guests tell us about how their housing situations have shaped their journeys. Some of them are now involved in organisations which help people with this specific issue.
1: If you're struggling, don't forget that Forward can help via our reach out online chat service at forwardtrust.org.uk. Crisis and shelter are also well worth looking up for help with housing specifically.
0: But if you need to speak to someone urgently, call the Samaritans on 116 123 or if you're in danger, call 999. We were just talking before we came online about the fact that I'd seen people, you know, when you're waiting to go into the prison and the gate's open and you see a guy get out with a blue plastic bag, look left, look right, and then go left. And and it's so clear that he has no one to meet him and he has no real idea of where he's headed. You know, and, um, what are the chances for him without without the infrastructure of, of um, someone helping him to find somewhere to stay that night?
1: Exactly. And how difficult it is because most people released NFA, which is Mm -hmm. no fixed abode, are released with, I think it's £46.80 in their pocket, Mm -hmm. the discharge grant. It's around £46 anyway. It hasn't changed in 20 years either. (laughs) It's still the same as it was. Um, And that is not going to get you... A room in a hostel, no. a bed in, you know, it's not going to get you anything really, is it? It'll get you high. It, yeah, it'll get you high for, <laughs> for a couple of hours at least, but that's about it. And, it. and it is really sad. And the trouble is with many short sentences, there isn't enough time. If someone's in prison on remand for a couple of weeks and they've came in homeless or they've come in and they've lost, you know, they've lost their accommodation, there is no time to be able to set up any process to get them anything on release. And it is very difficult.
0: And Jules, isn't there a situation as well where the release time and the release date even changes sometimes, you know, so you might have some sort of structure for Monday release and then because of the overcrowding, they'll let you out on the Friday and that can happen too, can't it?
1: It can. And and the trouble is, I mean, there is a big campaign being supported by some major housing charities called No Releases on Fridays okay. because it's such... I mean, they can release from 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening. Mm -hmm. So if you are sat in reception all day waiting to be released and you get released at 4 o'clock on a Friday, nowhere's open. The council's not open on a Saturday, the doctor's surgeries aren't open and you really are in limbo. You know, benefits now is all online. You can't just walk into your local dole office Mm -hmm. and say I've just been released from prison. It all has to be done online. So you really are you are sort of stuck in limbo until Monday morning. And most people, I mean, if they've struggled with addiction and been homeless before they've gone into jail, you're damn sure that as soon as they're released homeless with nothing and nowhere to go or no one to help them, they're going to immediately pick up again and end up back on that park bench. And in some cases, I know that people will immediately re-offend to get brought back in Mm. as a way, especially in the winter, to have a bed for night. That's just... It's just so sad. It's so unnecessary.
0: Marie-Claire O'Brien is a former prisoner who now runs a social enterprise called New Leaf. You can hear her story along with those of the rest of our guests in this series in the episode we put out titled Introduction to Series 2.
1: Marie-Claire explained how an insecure housing situation contributed to her problems.
2: I lived in my dad's house after he died and we took over the mortgage. But then with that came huge financial pressures. We were a real chaotic household after my dad died in terms of my brother was 18, I was 21, copious amounts of drug use and and stuff as young people do. And we had to go to court a number of times to keep the house and, you know, you know, make pleas to their you know, empathetic sides around, you know, why we we're in such dire straits. So it was definitely unstable at that point. The bailiffs were knocking on the door constantly. Um That led to me committing minor offences, you know, uh, didn't have the money to insure my car, MOT it, tax it. So then I was caught driving, you know, it's, it's just that vicious cycle of just having no money and that leading to poor decision making and um not having the, right frame of mind to kind of make the better make better choices for myself because we were hurting
0: some of our guests on this series have spent time without any accommodation of their own one of those is michael balligan whose incredible story of becoming an actor after crime and prison also includes a spell of homelessness
1: michael attended shakespeare workshops provided by the housing charity crisis that's where he met Peter Sells, the actor he mentioned in our previous episode on role models and supporters. He recalled how financial and housing insecurities ultimately took him back to prison.
3: So my probation officer hooked me up because I was kind of homeless as well. So she hooked me up with these Shakespeare workshops at a place called Crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Crisis, homeless mm-hmm. charity. But, but I didn't have any money and I was like, I need to go to drama school. I was, like, I was trying to apply for funding, nothing. So I was like, fuck it, I need to sell drugs again so I started selling drugs but I was doing it like really strict just to raise the dough just to raise the dough so I'm doing this and I'm, like my, I'm in the fucking workshop doing the shape, my phone's ringing I need four of this I need to I'm like fucking hell do you know what I mean it's all jumping off anyway I managed to save about 34 grand yeah wow. some money went missing between me and some guys and it got a bit messy but anyway I was trying to make that money back so I was going out because I had someone doing it for me at this time so I was going out myself now and I remember thinking so I've got it in the car Started it driving. I'm thinking, I don't want to go back to jail. I don't know why I was thinking, I don't want to go back to jail. I don't want to go back to jail. I don't want to go back to jail. Driving down the road, I see a mate of mine driving towards me. He's like, Don't go down that road. They're doing stop checks. Take the left by the lights. I was like, Great. So I was like, Look, look at that. I "I don't want to go back to jail. Someone's told me, I was like, Fucking hell, it's all happening. (laughs) So I've taken the left. I'm driving. I'm driving down the road. (laughs) As I'm driving down this road. Car's driving towards me. Look to my right. It's four people in the car. Man and a woman in the front, man and woman in the back. But five minutes later, look at my road view. That car's behind me. It's oh. undercovers. They're chasing me. I'm fucking chasing a car chase. I fucking you know, crashed into a wall, jumped out. I'm uh-huh. hiding in the garden. For hours, they've not found me. There's a helicopter flying out They're all looking for me. Yeah. I climb out the garden. They're all, everyone's clearing up now. So I'm, I've been in there for hours. My legs are hurting me. I climb over the wall, look to my right. There's two coppers standing there just having a chat. All I need to do is turn left, bust the left and run and I'm gone. I couldn't move. No. I don't know why. I was stuck. I was like... <laughs> I couldn't move. No, I uh, no, I anyway, long story short, they I get nicked. And because I'm on license, I don't have to go to court to go jail. They jail. Yeah. T- I didn't yeah. even know that. They took me straight back to prison yeah. from that nicking. Remember I was thinking, I don't want, want to go to jail because I was f- the fear. Straight back to jail. When I get to the jail, the guy's like, Mike like, mate, we all thought you are going to go off and be this big actor, mate. Aww. And then I was like, right, you know what? In order for me to become an actor, I need to literally cut off the road. I need to completely cut it off and I need to just
0: dedicate to this. Fundraiser and great friend of the podcast, Speedo Mick, is another guest who's experienced homelessness.
1: As is often the case, housing wasn't easy to keep hold of for Mick while he struggled with addiction. He told us how he'd often end up sleeping on the beach in Cornwall in desperate attempts to rediscover his old self
4: you know obviously there's me i was like you know homeless and um on the streets using uh anything to get me hands on to take my feelings away and uh how so, long were you homeless school um like on and off it was like on, on, on and off because then we get an house and stuff and then and then we wouldn't have you know what i mean we, we, we wouldn't last very long there because you know uh, we'd have to get moved for one reason or another um and then yeah it was just it was just like on and off you know what I mean because what I what I kept on doing was I kept on running down to Cornwall as well so I did me my um, geographicals because that's the last place I was when I was sound of mind so I kept going down there to try and find Michael <laughs> honestly I kept going back down there and all the same people were there and stuff and and uh, you know sleeping on the beach sometimes and you know, trying to, trying to hold down a job. And I went there so many times throughout my using and I just kept going down there. I came home to Liverpool and I picked up.
0: It's interesting listening to that, Jules, and to Mary Claire because the anarchy of addiction seems to lead to the basic fact that the bills aren't paid and that and the rent isn't paid and that subsequently leads to eviction, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. Addiction
0: leads to eviction.
1: It does. Chaos. Chaos. Because ultimately, if you're having to pay your rent, most cases now, Universal Credit Mm -hmm. pays all of your money into your account and you're responsible to pay your landlord. Mm -hmm. There are some circumstances where you can tick a box so the Universal Credit pays it direct to the landlord. But if you're in charge of paying your rent and getting your benefits and you've got a massive heroin and crack habit... Mm -hmm. and your money lands in on a Monday morning, and there's 800 quid in there, Mm -hmm. you know, half of it has to go to the landlord, but you need to score, you know, what's going to happen. So Mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, drugs and alcohol and addiction will come before absolutely anything, before you eat, before your personal care, before you pay the rent, before you pay the bills. It it is Mm -hmm. what it is. So it's hand in hand. It's likely to lead to that. Mm That's why... Not all people that are homeless on the streets are in addiction, but a lot of them are, yeah. and that's you know primarily the reason why.
0: Raf Chavez is another ex-offender in recovery who has now been ordained as a vicar. He doesn't feel that housing is the be-all and end-all of recovery, but knows it can make a massive difference.
5: It says in the in the in the NA literature in the Narcotics Anonymous literature that the first thing that we need to look at is people, places, and things, uh, that can damage uh, our recovery process. And there are places where there are people that are extremely, uh, dangerous for, for a recovery environment. However, I believe that when you surrender and when you are sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, You can get clean anywhere. Uh, I got clean in the same place where I used for 11 years. Uh, My drug dealer lived uh, opposite my flat. One day I just told him, "Uh, I'm not using anymore. Stop calling me. And he didn't stop calling me. And the last time he called me, I'm saying, you call me one more time. I'm calling the police in your flat. Um, And I've made 150 meetings in 90 days. Uh, And I've been over nine years clean. You know what I mean? So I just want to say that accommodation is extremely important, but we have to be careful not to use that as an excuse for relapses. Uh, I believe that we we can stay clean uh, no matter what happens, if we are connected um, with a recovery process of any kind, even if it's not 12-step based, whatever pathway that people do, right? But accommodation is important because I'm not going to lie to you that it was hard to be living in the same place where I was using. Uh, you know, there were times where I was coming home from a meeting and, and, and I'm walking right into all those guys that I used with and those places and those memories, and all of a sudden an obsession would be triggered. And uh, if we can have people to have safe accommodations to help them in the beginning of their recovery process is absolutely a game changer. Uh, as I said, it's not an excuse not to stay clean, but it helps dramatically. You know what I mean? Uh, I was blessed to stay clean through that, but it could have been different. Uh, I have recently actually written a letter as, a, uh, as I'm getting ordained. I I've, uh, I had a proper Church of England had a letter and I signed as a pastor of the church asking uh, the Council of Islington to uh, reaccommodate this guy who is 20 days clean and they put him in a hostel with everyone smoking crack and heroin outside of the hostel. I'm like, how do you want this guy to change his life? if you were placing him right in the middle of, you know, and thankfully we're able to like find him a, a new accommodation and he's now uh, in a safe place. So yeah, extremely important.
1: So important. And, and I think the two, the two stories you shared there, yours of what you found was your inner hope and actually your faith guiding you. And mm. that's that belief and that overwhelming sense of you don't want that life anymore. Yeah. was the driving factor in you remaining clean yeah. against all odds. Like yeah. there's only there's only a few that managed to do it in those situations and I'm yeah. always in awe when I hear yeah. it because so I think, wow.
5: Yeah.
1: Even people getting clean in prisons as well. Yeah. It, against all odds, you know.
5: Absolutely. I,
1: I, I got clean in prison. I did the program in prison.
5: Yeah. I was
1: on the wing with drug using and still yeah. remained clean. And it is... Miracle places it is an absolute miracle but it's it's a minute it drops and you 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 hang on to that with dear life yeah but but society expects people to um prove themselves in situations where they are Mm. put into approved premises yeah to to test them in the community and and, you know hostels you know it's full of drug using addiction everything is in there and
5: we have this uh, saying with Kovie that um, if you don't want to have a haircut, stop going to the barbers, right? Oh,
1: exactly. Uh, you
5: know, or like if, if you don't want to eat cake, stop, you know, walking past the cake shop. Do you know what I mean? And uh, when people don't give you the opportunity to stop going to the barbers, when you are living right inside of the cake shop, uh, it's very difficult for you not to end up eating the cake. So, exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: Tony Atwood has set up a housing charity since finding recovery. He explained some of the barriers to find an accommodation which are commonly encountered by those leaving prison.
6: Relationships and environment are really important things. The paucity in relationships with my childhood and the environment I was in wasn't helpful and that contributed to the problem. I think... Even today, I struggle being at home. Like, I have to take it in small doses. I have to keep myself safe, and I have to come out of that. Um, informing the charity in staying connected to the people I went through treatment with, the wider recovery community, the church. Like, I've built this network of support. I've still got my family that I love, and they love me. I need space. I need my own space to freely go back and serve my mum, serve my land, serve my brothers. So to have a safe place to call my own, my own home, my own accommodation is really important. And with my history of offending, history of addiction, not having references from a landlord, it's very difficult to find somewhere to live. Affordable as well. And if you can find somewhere affordable to live, it's not very supportive of recovery. It tends to be in the worst ends of town where drugs are rife. It's really difficult.
0: So... The practical issues of finding housing when you leave prison, I I always hear that the, the prisoners have got people that they can talk to before they're released, that there's charities that work with them and that there's a structure to their release. But it never feels that that's the case. It never feels that way.
1: And it, you're right, it's not always the case, although there is in every prison services that should provide that, mm-hmm. but they're limited and mm-hmm. they're stretched. And and in different prisons, it varies. So likely, like I was saying earlier on, if you're on a short sentence and you're being released from prison, it's highly unlikely that there's going to be any housing provisions set up for mm-hmm. you. One of the things that we do at Forward is try and bridge that gap so we will act as an advocate. From, from the community while someone's waiting to be released.
0: What, talking to the council for, on their behalf.
1: Talking to the council, talking to the client, talking to the workers in the prison, mm. talking to the housing department within the prison and making sure that the dots get joined up. Mm. And if they are going to be NFA, no fixed abode on release, then how can we support as an organisation? Mm. So we've got a small housing provision which is vision housing, which is supporting people into their own independent accommodation and a lot of people that we support into the accommodation have been released from prison have been evicted Mm -hmm. from council properties and we will support them by wrapping mentoring support around them for six months so we work with landlords so for instance if you've got two clients one who hasn't got any support and is on benefits and another who's come out of prison is on benefits but has the support of an agency or charity like us then you, they are more likely to get their rent paid, and the landlord is more likely to have the property well maintained mm-hmm. because we are working with the client to ensure that they're paying the gas, they're paying the electric, they're paying their, you know, housing benefit, and it's done properly as opposed to someone that hasn't got that support.
0: So, do you find sometimes people go into you, come to your charity under the auspices of wanting to get? clean, but really they're just trying to, they're looking for somewhere to stay and they're looking for somewhere to live.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's always going to be that. So we with vision housing, you don't have to be in abstinence-based recovery. It's not an abstinence-based provision. People are living independently, although we don't, um, you know, part of the contract is that they're not in active addiction and, and stuff and able to manage themselves well. Another part of the housing provision that we offer is recovery housing. Mm-hmm. So people have to be abstinent to be able to live there. And we do test regularly. And if they do relapse, then they are likely to be put out of the housing Mm -hmm. because they will put other people at risk. Risk, But there's so many charities and different organisations across England, across London that offer recovery housing. But I think it's so important if you are, whether you're coming out of prison or you're newly coming into recovery, that housing is available because life's tough enough and if you haven't got a roof over your head and somewhere to feed yourself to cook for yourself and just do the basic things that you need in life then recovery and trying to stay clean and on the right track and not re-offending is going to be really difficult
0: yeah fortunately for Marie Claire She'd had a much better housing situation coming out of prison than the one she'd experienced previously. That served as a lesson on the support we need to provide people who aren't as
6: lucky.
2: When I came out of prison, I went to live with my partner who'd waited for me the whole time. Like I say, I was one of the lucky ones. And having that stability was so important. It was everything in terms of giving me that foundation to build on, I mean, I work in education. I we deliver courses to people with convictions that want to get into work and stuff. And one of the things I was exposed to in my degree was Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which everybody knows about pretty much if they've done anything around education or motivation. And it's a, it's basically this theory of until you get the basics in place until you've got that stability and safety and physiological you know you you looked after how are you meant to self-actualize how are you meant to grow and motivate yourself to go to the next level and the next level and find your true place in the world it's just so much harder without that and I see that with our clients you know they get they get they do so much good work in prison around their offending and stuff, and you know substance substance misuse. And then they come out and they're put in approved premises that are chaotic, and there's drug use is rife, and they're not supported at all. How are we expecting these people to make better decisions when they're not getting a good night's sleep and they're being knocked their doors being knocked on? For drugs to give them drugs when they're trying to better themselves. For me, housing is a massive part. It's something that we would love to explore um, to give people that solid foundation from which to develop themselves.
1: You're right. It, it's so important. I remember years ago, different local boroughs were giving out sleeping bags and tents to people on the day of release. I mean. How is that setting someone up to succeed in anything, really, is it? Here's a tent and and a sleeping bag, just in case you don't make it to the council because we've only released you at 3.30 this afternoon and you have to go and collect your medication and go and see probation and then go and sit in the housing department, which is going to close in about half an hour because it's Friday. Mm. And then you've got all weekend with your tent and your sleeping bag and your £46.50
2: discharge grant. Yes. At, w- at which point you're more like bear grills foraging for survival than committing offences and reoffending. Do you know what I mean? What the hell do we expect from people? They're, they've got a fight or flight um, mechanism. They're fighting for survival at that point, and I I can completely see how how things kind of spiral the way we don't want them to. Yeah, shocking very shocking.
1: Tony Atwood told us about some of the specific work that his charity Hope and Vision Communities does to help people in recovery with their accommodation.
6: At the minute we've we've got four, four properties just taken on an allotment as well so it's kind of a community aspect, another space we can come together, be together, be productive, purposeful. These guys have developed relationships and they want They've done a lot of work on themselves. If you've been to treatment and you've done a lot of work on yourselves and you want it, then, yeah, I think we'd be perfect for people that are struggling to find somewhere, a safe community to continue their recovery. There's one guy, he's he's just going on to his Level 4 counselling, doing really well, went to South Africa, made amends to his children. It's beautiful to see, get gifts from residents, you know, saying thank you... Brings tears to your eyes, you know.
1: Well, you provided a springboard for them to propel on, haven't you, by creating this safe housing environment for people to prosper and do well.
6: Uh, and I think I'm not any better. I'm not any different. I'm the same as these guys, and I think that's what's powerful. If anything, we're doing it together, and that's what it's about, right? Anything i tried to do on my own went horribly wrong. <laughs> You know, if you've got rent to be paid and it's 1,200 quid and two people paying that, you know, you've got more of a chance.
1: I can't. We can.
6: It
0: indeed. Yep. And Mary Claire has learned that thinking outside the box is the key for those seeking to help people with this issue.
2: If probation haven't sorted out housing for our clients, look, we will, we will not go home on a Friday night without somebody having a roof over their head it doesn't matter they're coming home with me if they, you know, they're not sleeping on the streets tonight um, I mean one of the innovative things that the governor who had the previous convictions told me about and this is the innovation that makes me excited because this is thinking outside the box, the box that is prison. There was a woman that he was, um, that was in his care that was meant to be released on the Friday, but she wasn't able to get into treatment until the Monday. Now, we know what would have happened if she'd been released. Obviously, she's going to go and use. She's an addict. She's got no support, sign, seal, delivered at that point. But she wanted to stay in prison. Now, we all know that that's a no go. But he actually got her to sign a letter, got her to sign a disclaimer. I'm okay with staying in prison, they're not keeping me against my will. And he kept her in custody for her own safety and she was grateful for that. Now the governor had a right go at him because obviously we need the beds, it shouldn't be happening, but it was the right thing to do and that's what we need to think of as a society and especially within the systems that we create is we can have rules but sometimes we need to break those rules for the betterment of the individual And because it's the greater good and because it's going to pay dividends for society in the end instead of being so short-sighted about risk. Risk, risk, risk. Well, what about the risk if she'd gone out on that Friday night with nowhere to go? Yeah, so that was exciting to me, hearing that things like that can happen, but obviously I want more of that to be happening. And unfortunately, system says no, computer says no, so that's the frustrating thing. But all I'd say to people, if they're struggling to find accommodation, is to reach out to third sector agencies, you know, to literally put the call out to anybody you can on Twitter, on social media. One of us will reach out and try and support you. There's always hope. you just got to know the right people.
0: It's interesting listening to that from Marie Claire because that's actually how we started this podcast, talking about a guy walking out the door on a Friday possibly, turning left, turning right, and then walking left with nowhere to go and nothing set up. That's my experience of people leaving prison and... Um, I know that's not the case. And Jules, you, you, you said that the charity and, um, the forward trust work really hard at making that not happen. But what's the percentage? What, how many people walk out of prison, uh, with nowhere to go, do you think?
1: It's difficult to gauge, really. I wouldn't know the percentage, but I think there are, there are a high proportion of people that do present as NFA on release. Some would say that's because they get their discharge grant. Okay, but it, it's really hard to tell. And NFA being that they might be sofa surfing, or you know, going to say at families, or or what it, whatever it is, I'm not sure what the percentage mm. is, but I know it's quite high. And we come across people all the time that are being released with nowhere to go. And of course, if you're in recovery or looking at continuing on a recovery journey, then it's easier for us to find you housing.
0: Mm -hmm. But that's when you've been, so for instance, at Brixton, if you're on D-Wing, you have a a key worker who will know your release date and would set that up. So most people who leave D-Wing have got themselves into some sort of situation.
1: Yeah. And and if you're not in recovery and you are in prison, then there are obviously your IOM worker, which is your internal probation officer, which will be able to, you know, make links. And ideally, in every prison, there should be a housing team set up to be able to support. So make a noise, you know, ask your officer, Mm -hmm. ask people that you're working with and find out about housing. And if you are in the community and struggling with housing, then like Mary Claire said, you know, pick up the phone, get in touch with charities that can help. There's Samaritans, there's Crisis, there's Citi- Citizens Advice Bureau, there's the local council. One of the things that we're trying to expand on within Ford Trust is recovery housing. Mm-hmm. So we are working with landlords across Kent, London and Surrey and in Hull to be able to provide us with obviously, empty houses, Mm -hmm. and then we will lease those houses and then we will become the landlord, so to speak, for recovery. And we will bring people into those houses that they can live there for up to 18 months and they have to remain drug and alcohol free and be working on a recovery pathway. But the benefit of that is they're in safe accommodation. They're living with like-minded people. They've got support at the end of the phone. They have one-to-one sessions weekly and we're on hand to help them. So... There are services out there to support. You just need to pick up the phone and ask for help. And if you are a landlord and you are looking at helping people in situations that we spoke about on this podcast today and would like to work with us, please get in touch.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, that's an obvious thing with young people trying to find accommodation now who are in employment and have no criminal record. They're battling with each other to find housing. So to, to have come to be ex offender, possibly you'd have to say ex drug user. It must be almost impossible without help.
1: It is. And that, that is a completely, you know, another sort of spiraling situation oh. to be in because. You know, there's several barriers to housing. I mean, most landlords, I remember years ago I, when I was on benefits, actually in addiction and, and was homeless several times and needing accommodation, you'd have to look in the back of the paper back in those yeah. days and you would be looking for the bold... Um, letters that said, we'll take benefits.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. A
1: lot of them never did that. Yeah. So when you went to the ones that did take benefits, they were quite slum properties. Yeah, you yeah. know, they were like the bottom run of the mill yeah, that yeah. you didn't really want to live in, but you'd have to. And <laughs> you might close the door and there'll be a spark from the electric meter or mm. and it was all a little bit dodgy and and of course it's the same nowadays the rent the private rental market is so is so yeah, oversubscribed it's it's so competitive and
0: but it is th- i mean god any record any record because they're looking for an excuse not to uh, landlords are looking for an excuse not to give you the property because there, there's no property that one person is going for everything has got six, 10, exactly. 15 20 people wanting to live there yeah. and so why would you give it to someone unless you're Like-minded or open-minded. Why would you give it to someone who's just got out of nick or who's got addiction issues?
1: It's just tough, and it doesn't mean that because someone's working that they're going to be a better tenant than someone on benefits. Because any, you know, shit can happen at any time. Yeah, yeah. Stuff happens. So they're looking
0: for an excuse not to give it to you. Exactly, and that's a great excuse. Exactly. If you're interested in hearing more about the More Than My Past campaign and viewing dozens more inspirational stories, check out the campaign website, morethanmypast.org.uk. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe and look out for future episodes.